Today on A Daily Walk. If you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you know that there are times when God will direct us, God will lead us, and and he'll point us in a particular direction, and we can sense his calling, and we we know his leading, but we don't know how. And we don't know where the resources are going to come from, and we don't know the way in which it's going to take place. But what does that do? It brings you, hopefully, right back to Jesus. And that's exactly where the Lord wants us to be. Remembering what Jesus has done, enjoying what he is doing now, and awaiting what he will do in the future. This is A Daily Walk. Thanks for hanging out with us. Pastor John Randall is studying Luke with us right now, and today we come back to chapter 22. If your church is like ours, you celebrate communion every so often. It's a time to remember the Lord's sacrifice for us and his promise that he will return one day. Well, on today's broadcast, we'll see Jesus participating in the last Passover with his disciples. Right here, he institutes communion. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. It was back in Luke's gospel, the ninth chapter, The 51st verse that we read, Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And from that moment on, we have been following our Lord's journey to the cross. And now we arrive at the night before the climactic event of his death that would change the course of human history and alter mankind's eternal destiny. We know from the gospel record collectively that Jesus' activities and his whereabouts remained somewhat secretive. During the days of his final week of ministry, he was in the temple teaching, preaching, and healing those who were in need. However, in the evenings, Jesus and his disciples would make their way back to Bethany beyond the Mount of Olives to stay at the home of Mary, Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. Now, the city of Jerusalem, because it was the Passover, was overcrowded with pilgrims there to celebrate. And many people were making preparations and had made preparations to celebrate the Passover. But there were others who were making preparations as well, in the shadows, in secret places, in dark places. The religious leaders, we read, were preparing to put Jesus to death. A warrant had already been issued for Jesus' arrest. The religious leaders, made up of the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians, had set aside their theological and political differences in one united effort to crucify the Son of God. But there was a problem. The people, many of them, had embraced Jesus. They were 
listening to his words and responding to him. They surrounded him constantly, and this made it extremely difficult to be able to find the right time to arrest Jesus when the crowds were not present. But then we read of an opening that the religious leaders had been waiting for. One of Jesus' own disciples, Judas by name, made a deal with the religious leaders to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and we read that Satan entered the heart of Judas and entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, and he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him. Judas is a rather interesting character in the Bible. Many have written about him, speculated about his character and nature. How could he do this? Why would he betray the Son of God? Furthermore, it's startling to read here that Satan entered Judas. I can think of nothing more frightening than that description of a person. But Jesus was not surprised by Judas's actions. He knew all along what his real motives and intentions were. Back in John chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus said, Did I not choose you the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He knew what Judas's heart was really like. Now, we know from Mark's gospel, the 14th chapter, that at this point, Jesus and his disciples, being in Bethany, in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, were having dinner one evening. And we read that Mary came into the room with a very costly ointment of spikenard that was housed in a flask. And she took it and she broke it. And she poured it out on the head of Jesus, on the feet of Jesus. And the entire room was filled with this fragrance of this spikenard. We are also told that this flask was worth a year's wages. Many believe that it was quite possibly Mary's dowry that was to be reserved for her when she would be married to her husband. But she broke it and poured it out upon Jesus. No thought of the extravagance of this sacrifice. This was for Jesus. Now we know, Mark records, that in that moment that Judas began to reprimand her in the presence of them all, saying this could have been sold and the money could have been used for the poor. John's gospel commentates and said the reason that Judas said that is because he was the treasurer and he was in charge of the money and he wanted to have access to it. Jesus then stood up on Mary's behalf and said, the poor you have with you always, me you do not always have. She has done this for my burial. And he in essence said, leave her alone. And Jesus said, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told of as a memorial to her. Then it says that Judas, right after that, he went to the chief priests and sought to betray him. Judas struck an agreement with the enemy and sold out the Son of Man for 30 pieces of silver. And Luke's description here, I think, is rather telling. Because in verse 4, it says that he went his way. Judas yielded to the enemy, and he went his own way. And understand this, that is exactly what the enemy desires for people to do, to yield and go their own way. From the very beginning of man's existence there in the Garden of Eden, the devil suggested to our first parents, Adam and Eve, you can go your own way, and they yielded, and here we are. 
Jesus, when he was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, he suggested to Jesus that he go his own way. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do the will of your father. If you will just bow your knee before me, all the kingdoms of this world can be given to you. Jesus, of course, resisted by using the word of God. But if you want to walk away from Jesus, if you want to sell out, the enemy will always be right there to meet your price. And there are people, countless multitudes today, that are selling out to the enemy and going their own way. For some people, they have sold out for a moment of pleasure to have a lifetime of regret and pain. For some people, they choose to reject the gospel. They yield their life to the devil, and he opens up the doors for them that will ultimately lead to their destruction. That's exactly what Judas did here. But while the religious leaders were plotting in the shadows, preparing to arrest Jesus, notice that Jesus was preparing for the Passover meal with his disciples. Look at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room and there make ready. So they went and found it just as he said to them and they prepared the Passover. Now, being that it was time to celebrate this Passover celebration, listen, many people being in the city had already made preparations. People already knew where they were going to celebrate. They had already got everything that they were going to need for the Passover meal. And you have to understand, when Jesus turned on the day of Passover to his disciples and said, hey guys, I need you to go and prepare for the Passover, they probably were shocked at this request. It'd be like saying, Two hours before Thanksgiving, I need you to go get the stuff at Albertsons and bring it back. Are you kidding me? They're out of turkeys. I mean, that's kind of what it was like for them. And this was a major thing to prepare. First of all, the location. Just to have a location in the city of Jerusalem was difficult enough because there were so many people there. Where were they supposed to go? Where were they supposed to find a, a location? They would have to go to that location, cleanse it of all leaven. This was quite the procedure. Not only that, they would have to gather all of the items for food, which would include bitter herbs, salt water, unleavened bread, and a host of other things that they would need for this particular meal. And don't forget, they would also have to go and get a lamb from the temple. Think about that. Peter and John sent on an errand to get a lamb for Passover. They would have to go to the temple and purchase it from the religious leaders that were about to put to death the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Josephus, a secular historian at this time, records that there were probably about 200,000 lambs that were offered up. And here's what would happen, just to give you a picture of what would take place. When you would come into the temple, all of the lambs had to be sacrificed between 3 and 5 p.m. And so you would have an assembly line of Levites and priests, and they would bring in people, probably 10 at a time, with the lamb. And they would bring this lamb in, and there would be an assembly line. They would cut the throat of the lamb. They would drain the blood. 
And that blood would be put in a basin. It was almost like passed down, passed down to the Levites and priests and poured out at the basin of the altar. And then that lamb would be placed on hooks. They would place this lamb on silver hooks. Two guys would have it uh, hoisted up and then another would skin the lamb. However, it's worth noting that in the Mishnah, which was the Jewish authoritative collection that embodied the oral tradition of Jewish law, forming the first part of the Talmud, stated that if they ran out of hooks, and it was not uncommon for them to do so because of so many lambs being offered up, they had an alternative procedure that was used. And here's what it was. When they said that there was a number of short, thin poles or rods, sticks, wood, that would be taken and shoved through the shoulder of the lamb, going through the backside without breaking a bone. Two men would hoist up this lamb, and it would be hanging there on this wood. And one man would then skin the lamb. And then the lamb would be wrapped in its own skin, given to those who had brought it. They would take it home. And they were not allowed, apparently, to roast it on an iron spigot. So they would take another pole of wood and they would shove it through the front of the lamb, out through the back, forming a cross, and there it would be burned over fire, the lamb. Historians looked into the secular historians, Jewish historians commented that on the day of Passover, when this would take place, that it was not uncommon to have thousands upon thousands of lambs, as it were, crucified on the day of Passover. And here the disciples are asked to go and make preparation for the Passover ceremony. But imagine the disciples hearing this command of Jesus and notice their response immediately. Where do you want us to go and prepare? I like that. In other words, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. Jesus, you're asking us to do something, and what does that do? In in the midst of their not knowing where to go and how to prepare, listen, it brings them right back to Jesus. Lord, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? How do you want us to prepare? I love that because there are, and you know this, Christian, if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you know that there are times when God will direct us, God will lead us, and and he'll point us in a particular direction, and we can sense his calling, and we, we know his leading, but we don't know how. And we don't know where the resources are gonna come from, and we don't know the way in which it's gonna take place. But what does that do? It brings you, hopefully, right back to Jesus. And that's exactly where the Lord wants us to be. Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? The best thing that you can do this morning, if you're in that place and the Lord is calling you to something or telling you something or you're in a situation where you don't know what to do, can I encourage you today? Go right back to Jesus and say, Lord, where, what, how do you want me to do it? And he will direct you, he will guide you, he will show you. And the great news, listen, for us today is he always has a plan. Jesus is never Taken off guard. He is never, oh, I don't, oh, a plan. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Let me get Father, Son, Holy Spirit up here. Let's uh, huddle up and pray about it. No, he's never without a plan. He knows how to guide. He knows how to direct. The Bible says he knows the plans that he thinks concerning you. He's given you a future and a hope. He wants to guide and direct you if you are willing to come to him. And so the disciples said, Lord, what do you want us to do? And I'm so thankful that Jesus gave them a plan. And it was in steps. Step one, I want you to go into the city probably filled with two million people, and you're going to see a guy, and he's going to have a pitcher of water. Now, that is unique because, ladies, this was women's work. Women are the ones to fetch the water. But on this particular day, I guess there wasn't any women available. There's a man in the city carrying a pitcher of water. So imagine these guys going into the city. You see a guy. Oh, my goodness. There's a guy carrying a pitcher of water. Second step, follow him. 
Follow him to the house that he goes. And then go into the house. Ask for the master of the house. And the next step, just say, hey, where are we going to prepare for the Passover for the teacher? And so once they did that, Jesus said, then he's going to show you a room completely ready and furnished. So they went. I love this. They went and they found it just like Jesus said. Here's the steps. Step one, go into the city. Step two, follow the guy with the pitcher. Step three, ask for the master of the house. Step four, where are we going to set up? And he'll tell you. I wonder if you followed the directions of Jesus. Are you one of those people that says, Lord, I'll follow you. Just tell me step five before I take step one. (laughs) So I know where you're going and I can decide whether or not I want to do it that way. It doesn't happen like that. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight, and God may call you to take a step, and that's the first step he's going to show you, and then he'll show you the next step after you take that step, and then the following. That's how it goes. That's what it means to walk and to trust and to believe that God's going to direct you. And so these men went in obedience to the commands of the Lord, and they found it just like Jesus said. And what they found, he had already taken care of it. It was already prepared. Jesus somehow had already gone before them, made preparations. It was already ready. He knew what he was doing, and he knows what he's doing with your life, and he knows what he's doing with my life, and you can rest in that today, friend. Well, as they went into this upper room, Jesus will now partake with his disciples of his last supper. It says in verse 14, now the hour had come. He sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. As the disciples gather for this final meal of Passover, there's a couple of things that Luke does not record that the other gospels fill in some of the details. For one thing, when they would gather at this Passover meal, this last supper, the seating arrangement was unique. Maybe you've seen the picture, the painting of the last supper with all of the disciples seated in a long table. Jesus is the one with the halo over his head and they're all eating and, you know, it's, it's, you've seen the photo. It's not a photo, it's actually a painting. But maybe you've seen a photo of the painting. But nonetheless, <laughs> that's not how it was. That's not an accurate depiction. In those days, they would recline on pillows. The table would be set, if you can imagine, in in, in a U shape. And everybody would be leaning on their arm, legs are behind them, and they would be grabbing, tearing, and and eating, and dipping, and double dipping. And that's the kind of meal that it was. And that's where they were. They were seated, actually reclining. But then something else happened during that meal that John's gospel fills in the details of what happened that night. It says that when they had finished eating, that Jesus got up from that table, laid aside his outer garment, and put on an apron of a servant. And he took the lowest position that a servant could have in a household, which was washing feet. And he began to go to all of the disciples and wash their feet. He washed John's feet, the disciple whom Jesus loved, as John calls himself. He washed Matthew's feet, the tax collector that left everything and came and followed him. He washed Andrew's feet, the one that was constantly bringing people to him. He washed Judas' feet, the one that just in a matter of time was going to betray him. And then he came to Peter, the Bible tells us. And Peter said, Lord, you will never wash my feet. 
And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, what I am doing now you do not understand, but you will know after this. You ever had the Lord say that to you? What I'm doing right now, you don't get it, but you'll know later on. Peter said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said to Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Peter said, then Lord, just go ahead and wash all of me. Hose me down, Lord. (laughs) It's a loose translation. No, the Lord said to him, Peter, I only need to wash your feet. And then after Jesus had washed all of their feet, he began to explain what it was that he had just done. Guys, there is something in this picture of Jesus that I want to point out to you. Jesus laying aside his outer garment in a real sense, was a picture of what Jesus did in coming to this earth. He laid aside his divine privileges and he became a servant. And he didn't come only to wash men's feet, but to wash away our sins. Jesus said to his disciples, what I've done for you, I've left you an example that you should do likewise. The son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The greatest in the kingdom, Jesus would say, is the servant of all. And that is the position that he took. Could you imagine God in the flesh, washing your feet, taking the lowest possible position. And Jesus said to his disciples, you're blessed if you will do this yourselves. Wash one another's feet. After he had washed the disciples' feet, of course, there was a couple other things that take place. The other gospels seem to place the timeline that Judas was then dismissed before the communion service. But nonetheless, we read here that the Passover meal then began. What took place at the Passover? The Passover of ancient times is a little bit different than the Seder that you've perhaps celebrated or read about before, but there was a series of steps that would take place at the Passover meal that had great significance and representation, and I want to mention just a few of them for you as a guideline. Rabbis stated that during the Passover meal, whoever does not make mention of at least these three following things did not fulfill their obligation at the Passover meal. Number one, the Passover sacrifice. That was the lamb. The lamb was to remind them of how their houses had been protected by the blood when the angel of death passed through Egypt. If you have never read the Old Testament, let me just bring you up to speed why it is they call it the Passover. The nation of Israel was in bondage to the Egyptians for over 400 years, crying out to God for deliverance. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, and through a series of plagues, nine plagues to begin with, the grip of the Egyptians was being loosened as the nation of Israel was about to be set free. But there was one final plague that would deliver them, and that was the death of the firstborn. And the only way that the Jewish people could escape the death of their firstborn is to take a lamb. They had to take a lamb, to sacrifice that lamb, to take the blood of that lamb, put it on the the doorpost of their house. Interesting, in the shape of a cross, the blood of the lamb. And when the angel came, and death came with him, When he saw the blood, he would pass over. And thus it is called the Passover celebration. Offering hope and encouragement for your daily walk, that is Pastor John Randall. And this is A Daily Walk. We're going through the Bible right now. You can order a CD copy of this message by calling 877-242-0828. You can also listen to our recent programs on our website at adailywalk.org. We also offer John's teachings by podcast, and we have an app, too. To get our app, do a search for Calvary South OC. I should also mention John is on Twitter and Instagram. You can start following him on Twitter at PJRandall7 and on Instagram 
at John P. Randall. With all that's been going on in the Middle East and Israel, many are inquiring about end times Bible prophecy. And we want to get a good book into your hands on this subject from our friend Barry Stagner. It's The Time of the Signs, a chronology of Earth's final events. When the disciples asked Jesus how to anticipate his return, he gave them an incredible answer that we stand to benefit from. They asked him about the signs of his coming and the end times. What should they expect to take place? In The Time of the Signs, Barry Stagner explores the events that will precede Jesus' return. We'll send it to you for the special price of $12. Call us at 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. Thank you for your prayerful and financial support of A Daily Walk. It really is having an impact. With your help, we're able to reach thousands with the truth and love of Christ at a time they really need to hear it. If you'd like to donate to the ministry, please go to adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. And you know, we are very grateful to the Lord when we hear back from our listeners. Write to Pastor John today by email at adailywalk.org at gmail.com. He loves to read listener letters and emails. Let him know what's going on in your life and how we can pray for you at a daily walk at gmail.com. Maybe you're one of our new listeners. Let us know what you think of a daily walk when you write to us at a daily walk at gmail.com. Well, that'll do it for this edition of a daily walk with Pastor John Randall. May God richly bless you and strengthen you in your daily walk. Join us next time as we continue our journey through the Bible. This program is brought to you by Calvary South OC and made possible through the support of our listeners. This is a presentation of Calvary South OC. 